welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hello, everyone. I'm Justine Liu, a managing broker at Rennie, and today we're going to welcome Ryan O'Hearn. This is Ryan's second time in the chair with us, and I believe it was last summer Ryan joined us with his brother Daniel on the podcast. So welcome, Ryan. Thanks, Justine. Appreciate you having me on for the second, hopefully not last time. Here, so. <laughs> See how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first Pressure's time on. went pretty good, so we, we can, had to have you back. So before we get started, we're going to be diving into two topics today. The first topic is more musings on market macroality, and the second topic is the inflation situation and seasonality. So with me in the room today, as always, is Ryan Berlin, our senior economist and vice president of intelligence at Rennie, and Ryan Wise, our market intelligence manager and lead analyst analyst with our Intel division. So I have three Ryans in the room today. The trifecta. Little bit of yeah. <laughs> yes. So we got code names or how are we doing it today? Just go as a surname only basis. Yeah. yeah I think oh, so I, formal. Maybe yeah. I'll have to start addressing you guys by last name. I don't know. You too, Lou. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. I will be Lou. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Um, so Ryan, the last time you were here was 13 months ago. Mm-hmm. It was last summer. What do you feel is different or is there any difference between last summer and this summer? Yeah, totally. I mean, right now we're in a brand new office, which feels really cool. Yeah, uh, we're, we're in Chinatown, mm. you know, 13 mm-hmm. months ago. Um, and uh, yeah, just um, moved to Kits as well. So it's not lovely being a Kits local coming in here. So I feel like definitely at home at the new place. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, in terms of the market, though, it's funny, just a lot of uh, parallels, I'd say from last summer. Um, I think if I remember correctly, we just had a 100 basis point rate hike so a lot yes. of you know people were a bit freaked out kind of sitting on the sidelines waiting to see what happens and a lot of that kind of does mirror into this summer where we just had two rate hikes a lot of you know potential buyers are wanting to wait on the sidelines a lot of people didn't expect the you know these rate hikes to happen you know back to back in a way mm-hmm. um, so yeah it's very similar sentiment in the market right now than uh, 13 months ago you're also saying the dynamics a little funny right now because um, when we were talking before we started mm-hmm. recording that there is like both buyers and sellers feel like they maybe have the upper hand when negotiating a deal. For sure. I mean, it's been a a great year so far in terms of like people wanting to buy and sell and clients and family, friends coming to us. But but yeah, it's definitely hasn't been easy. Uh, Especially the last couple of months, we've definitely noticed this shift in sentiment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Buyers are really hesitant to move forward in some ways and little things that would maybe be small deals that buyers would kind of just accept with the home. Um, these are bigger th- issues now that want to be resolved. And meanwhile, sellers are perhaps knocking the dollar they want. They're not super happy either. They perhaps are rebuying into a more elevated market. Mm-hmm. So people right now, it's hard to get everyone to agree. Uh, where in the past, you know, in a seller's market, it was very clear. The buyer would typically say, okay, you know what? At least I'm lucky I got the home. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll work with these small issues here. Where now we're not really getting that same momentum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, just generally, there's so much less certainty around the direction of the market in terms of values, in terms of interest rates. Like typically, I mean, up until whatever, a couple of years ago, we were in a stable macroeconomic environment, relatively Mm -hmm. speaking, for some time at that point. And so really you're just contending as a buyer or seller with, you know, where you think values are going to go. And now you're trying to um, pair up your thoughts on 
values with where you think interest rates are going to go is such a, it's so complex. It's almost paralyzing. Mm-hmm. I imagine for many people that they're just unable to even make a, a, a decision. It is. Yeah. And for that reason, it, unless you have a real reason to buy or sell, whether you're moving, you just don't need the space, you need larger space. A lot of people are opting not to make a move right now, uh, especially investors. Uh, we've, you know, out of the 22 ho- homeowners we've worked with, only two investors. One, one is myself. <laughs> so not do a ton you of, even count? <laughs> do I even count? I don't know. I don't think I count. Yeah. Uh, so it's been very uh, just user and user focused this mm-hmm. year. People, people that need a different place. They literally a need a different reason. place. Yeah. Exactly. So that's been the main um, reason why people are buying and selling. So let's get into our first topic, topic number one, more musings on market macroality. So my question is for Berlin. Last episode, we talked about quote unquote macroality and the role it's playing in our current market. Can you remind everyone what macroality is again and what the latest housing data is telling me? I'd be happy to. (laughs) (laughs) Macroality is still not rolling off the tongue, but the more we say it. It's a little bit tongue twistery. It's true. That's true. It is. It's a portmanteau between... Mm. Of of the macro economy uh-huh. and seasonality. Yes. So <clears throat> typically our market, so if the macro economy, and we say that we mean inflation, interest rates, the job market, that kind of stuff, when it's stable, then what kind of governs activity month to month throughout the year, whether it's like sales or inventory supply listings, um, is really the time of the year. Like we see sales run up and peak in the spring, and they kind of drop off through the summer. People are doing other things, and they, there's a little bit of a bump in October, and then they fall off at, during the holidays or leading mm-hmm. into the holidays. Mm-hmm. Inventory, uh, we usually get a bit of a run-up at the start of the year, and then things level off and and sort of slowly decline through the end of the year. So there's a lot of like front-end activity uh, in, in, in the year when the macro economy is stable, but right now, like, uh, O'Hearn, mm-hmm. uh, everything, everything sounds like official. It's more official yeah. this time around. Um, yeah, what you have is people responding, not to the cadence of the, the season or the, the time of the year, but really like these bigger picture factors. Um, and I mean, right now, I mean, you'd have, you know, typically you'll have people who are, um, you know, they're just not transacting because they're on vacation. Mm-hmm. But right now what's governing, if people aren't transacting, it's because, again, they don't need to move. Mm-hmm. So they're not. So it's just a different mix of buyers. Obviously, the timing of everything is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, definitely we, we sort of introduced this theme of macroality mm-hmm. last mm-hmm. month. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we're seeing it again. We have another month's, uh, worth of resale data for this market sales are. So for July in this, in the Vancouver region are up big time, like a third over last year. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's different. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's a plus. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely more activity. Um, but they're 17% below the long run average for July. Right. So it feels good. Like, you know, Sales definitely. There's more activity this year than last year, mm-hmm. but if you sort of step back, zoom out, uh, we're still seeing buyers on the sidelines to a large degree. And what's really happened is 
You I guess I was curious. Yeah, like how much would that 100 basis point increase last July have affected? Like, I'm just wondering, was last July a fair benchmark to compare to, or is it like uh, what was the kind of? Yeah, it's a, yeah, that's a great yeah, it's a great point. It was a it's a it was a low point. It was mm-hmm. it was way off the average. I think we were 30 to 40 yeah. percent down from the long run mm-hmm. average last year. Like it really, it was almost like a less exaggerated version of the market after the pandemic hit us. Mm, yeah, where you just totally. had people just totally sidelined. It was like. Even if you could afford something, you weren't even doing the math. You were just like, whoa, that's a big hit. What is going on here? Yeah. yeah. Um, you often compare year over year to account for that seasonality conversation that you would have in a more typical market. But these year over year calculations, the last couple of years have been such outliers that really comparing to that past 10 year average is the best way to go. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. At. Yeah. Um, and so if you look at the month to month change, you can like some people might say, oh, sales were down in July relative to June. That's what always happens in the summer. Um, but that month to month change was so much more dramatic this year than you, you would typically see again compared to that past 10 year average. Mm. Yeah, worse. Yeah. To your, to your point wise. <laughs> um, yeah. Seasonality would suggest that between June and July, uh, we would see sales drop by 9%. So that's just like. You know, if, so if sales this year drop by 9% between June and July, you go, meh, that's just part of the seasonal cadence, right? As people, mm-hmm. you know, the kids are finished school, right? And you go off, you're doing other things. But this year's sales fell off month to month by 22%. Okay, yeah, it's a lot more than normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, way, way more than normal. And again, it's you have to realize it's against the backdrop of more rate hikes. Totally. Right? So we see that on the sales front. And then in terms of inventory, um, really strong growth through the the first half of this year and I'll I'll touch on that a little more specifically in a moment but inventory is still as of last month 8% below where it was last year mm. so still like really really constrained we started the year super low mm-hmm. uh, and 19% below that long run average so you have buyers sort of sidelined you have sellers yeah. who are i mean they're not buying if they're not selling in many cases mm-hmm. but you have people who are unsure about where value should be or where they're going and yeah. mm-hmm. I have a, it's kind of an interesting story here too. We have a buyer that we had accepted offer a few weeks ago on a place and we're going to port over a mortgage at, was it 2.2% golden at a five, it was a five-year term, like just an amazing yeah. mortgage. Yeah. So um, locked up the place and during our due diligence, uh, we didn't know the banks actually will look at the applicant again and requalify them, but they'll keep the rate, but they'll requalify them based on the new standards. So his $400,000 mortgage now became a $320,000 mortgage. So that actually ended up having to put more down payment. So a lot of people might not realize, yeah, great, I got a low rate, and maybe I want to port it over. But sometimes you can't even do that because you can't buy back into the market. Wow. So people yeah, are perhaps maybe hanging on to their you know house or can't, if they have a great rate, just hang on to it as long as you can, yeah. right? That's really interesting. It's almost akin to what we see in the States, which is more of an extreme example. Obviously not super relevant to this market, but it is interesting to see how monetary policy, so mm-hmm. i.e. higher interest rates in our current environment flows through because to the housing market. So here it's a little bit different. We have every five years for most people, mm-hmm. you're kind of opened up to this interest rate shock and it's totally worked out for uh, homeowners over the past 40 years. Yes. Every five years, they're pretty mm-hmm. much renewing at a lower rate. Yeah. So that's great. And all of a sudden it's like, oh all wow, I'm renewing at a high. So I've done all the right things, right? I've, I've worked hard. Uh, I've gotten a promotion, two promotions. My income's gone up. Uh, you know, maybe the kids aren't in daycare anymore, so we have extra cash. Uh, both, maybe both parents, if there are two of them in the household, they're working. You paid down your principal, and then because inflation's been high, and because interest rates have been moved upwards so rapidly and by so much, you almost some people can't afford to be in the home 
that they've been diligently making mm-hmm. payments on. So you're going backwards. Yeah. You are. Yeah. And in the States, it's interesting because it, um, that situation doesn't typically come up because they have these 30-year fixed rates. Mm-hmm. Um, so what that has the effect of doing, though, when we see rising interest rates, is just keep people locked in place. They cannot mm-hmm. move because they cannot port their mortgages yeah. at all. So not just mm-hmm. even being requalified lower, they can't move it. So if you're going to move, you expose yourself to the current interest rate structure and it just becomes prohibitive. Yeah. So, and again, in a lower rate environment, that wasn't a problem. It was not. <laughs> totally. Oh, it's a big problem now. Yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, inventory is still down, but it's been rising significantly. Uh, like if we look over the past 35 years uh, for the Vancouver region, looking at inventory change, uh, so number of homes available for purchase through Q1, so the first three months of the year versus the second three months of the year, uh, almost always... Um, we see faster inventory growth in Q1 and then kind of a leveling off in Q2. Mm-hmm. But this year is one of uh, four years in the past three and a half decades where inventory growth in the second quarter has actually outpaced that of the first quarter, mm-hmm. right? So we've seen it continue to rise. Like it hasn't plateaued and you go, well, what's going on? Well, you know, buyers aren't there to, to snap up that inventory. And so some of it is just sitting there a bit longer, mm-hmm. but then you do have at the margin some people again who are renewing uh, or looking at the prospect of renewing, going this is this is crazy. Like even if on paper I could afford to stay in my home, let's either we're going to downsize in the future, let's downsize now, or you know this house is maybe too big yeah. for us. And some of those much. are probably variable rate holders too, or you know this people has been got too locked in yeah. to that to yeah. that situation and can't flip over. Absolutely. So it's, uh, yeah, again, all these, I, I think no matter what corner of the market you're looking at or what side of the ledger, the sales, the inventory, we know the new listings on a year over year basis after being negative. So since the beginning, so since the beginning of the rate hike cycle back in March of last year, um, new listings were trending on a year over year basis every single month in negative territory. So we have fewer new listings every month in the prior year, but then we saw that gap between this year and last year closing uh, through the spring. And in July, we had 18% more new listings this year than last July, right? So there's obviously, it's it's not just that inventory is sitting there longer without the buyers. It's mm-hmm. that there are more new listings or more homes being put up for sale. It's definitely not at the situation where it's tipped the scales um, in favor of buyers because actually objectively when we look at the data anything like that the the broad market for homes under one and a half million is a seller's market mm-hmm. um for all multifamily like townhomes and condos it's technically a seller's market um but we're you know if there's a silver lining to all this maybe we're getting a little bit more balance mm-hmm. which maybe makes your job harder <laughs> yeah yeah balance is tough yeah just yeah. getting everyone to agree right now is that that's the that's every deal feels like definitely a lot of especially the last few months just been really a lot of Step by step process, yeah, which yeah. makes makes you better realtor, I guess, too, in the long run. So you gotta work a little harder. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's all of those dynamics you just described also kind of led to that counter seasonal pattern. So fewer sales, more new listings, sort of that that drip, drip, drip of change over the last few months. So July inventory rose when typically it kind of contracts by about one percent. That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah, and so now we have expanding inventory at a time when we typically don't, and here we are into August, and we see that. Numbers start to grow, start to grow. Maybe by the end of this week, we'll hit that 15,000 number um, that we haven't seen for 
a year or so. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So that again, that that summer season, you know, you normally see that really stagnant inventory, and we're seeing that growth for all the reasons that you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah I think that's a good segue into possibly topic number two. The inflation situation and seasonality. So my question is for Wise. We saw this week that inflation increased in July back above 3%. How concerned should we be about this and about a potential response by the Bank of Canada? Yeah, for sure. So we got a fresh batch of CPI inflation data Mm -hmm. out this week. And it was uh, higher than I think most people are expecting. Most of the, the big bank economists and our expectations was maybe a slight increase in July, and we saw it come up to 3.3% headline inflation year over year for July. Um, And so that is, you know, it's back outside that range. It's something that uh, I think the Bank of Canada, it's not something they were hoping for. Um, And so it's like, what they're going to do kind of depends largely on, you know, where do we go from here? What is the second half or the last five months of this year going to look like? And so just kind of remind everyone, it matters as much about what prices were doing last year as what they're doing this year as um, it's a year-over-year percentage calculation. So we talked about how inflation peaked um, in June of last year at 8.1%. And basically, we like to remind everyone of these base year effects where all of the run-up in inflation last year was in the first half of this of the year in 2022. And so that's really what led to it. And so as all the, that run-up sort of came out of that year-over-year calculation this year, even as prices are rising, inflation has been coming down. So prices have been rising moderately in the first half of this year. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got uh, declining inflation um, to the end of June when we got below that 3% line. Uh, and so that gap between prices last year and this year narrowed even as prices were increasing. Um, and so we saw kind of a bit of a bump in July. Prices come back up. And so we sort of segmented this like Ryan was talking about first quarter, second quarter for inventory, we did first half of year and second half of year mm-hmm. for inflation. Okay, if all of the inflation last year was in the first half of the year, like how common is that? What kind of, what is the first half, second half difference? Uh, so if you go back to the start of the millennium, so more than two decades, you can actually see that it's actually surprisingly common that most of the inflation comes in the first half of the year. So- um, You say oh, two, two decades or- how? Yeah, since oh, okay. 2000. Gotcha. So, yeah. It so, would have been more impressive if this was like the 1990s. And he said, millennia. Yeah, a thousand years of inflation data. That would have been great. Uh, Stats can doesn't go back that far. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, only three times has there ever been more inflation in the second half of the year than the first half. One of those is 2020 and a crazy outlier that we should throw out. So, 86% of the time. There's more inflation in the first half of the year than the second half. So you can expect almost all the time price increases to be less in the second half of the year. Almost half the time, more than 40%, you actually get deflation in the second half of the year. And so last year at the end of July and at the end of December, the actual CPI price level was the same, meaning there was no inflation whatsoever in 2022 in the last five months of the year. So as we look ahead to the next five months, what does it take to bring that rate of inflation down? It takes actual deflation. So not just slowing price increases, but full-on price declines. So the good news there is that that actually happens about 40% of the time. So it could happen. Um, History tells us that prices often decline late in the year, um, but that's what it'll take for, for that headline inflation rate to come down. 
Does the Bank of Canada usually take that into account, like the, or like the fact that the back end of the year is less inflation, or are yeah. they going to look at the data from the last few months and potentially still rate so the rate hike? You think they'll look at everything? Like they have more data than we do. They have more. They have a bunch of PhDs working on this all the time, so they know all this stuff more than we do, um, and they'll take it into account. So I think we, Ryan, Berlin, and I, Berlin and I were talking earlier <laughs> about what we think the odds are of a rate hike on September 6th when they meet next. Um, so I think it's probably 70, 30, 70% they won't hike, about 30% they will. Um, and I say 60, 40, but I mean, this is splitting hairs. In I just mean, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's about like weighing, It's these are probabilistic incomes, like when when they make the rate decision, it will be 100% one thing and 0% the other thing. But going mm -hmm. into it, there's a bunch of factors that influence that decision. And we're trying to get in the head of a governing council that, you know, is has its own mandate and maybe view things and views the economy and, and inflationary pressures in a particular way. Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, you could say it's a toss up, right? It's, mm -hmm. I think probably it feels like we've had enough rate hikes, like, they take 18 to 24 months to fully yeah. sort of manifest and, and marinate. So the last two really haven't done anything except maybe keep a few more people on the sidelines in the real estate market. Mm -hmm. um, but otherwise, like it's been less than two months since a quarter point and a quarter point. Um, though those first ones from last year, that 100 basis point one that O'Hearn you were talking about from last year, that one's still working its way through the yeah. economy. All those fixed rate renewers that we're talking about, so many of them just haven't renewed yet. They don't go until 2025, 2026. Um, so this stuff just takes time to work. They've gone so fast and so far already. I don't think they need to go again, but I don't know, you could. You guys correct me if I'm like, if this is just a thought here, but I know like just generally talking out there with mortgage brokers, the buying power of people has basically been reduced by about 20% um, just from what they can purchase with the new stress test with the rates going up. But I, we haven't really seen a big correction to that extent with the pricing or benchmark prices. And I'm just wondering, is there still like a gap there that is potentially need to be filled or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean... It's true. Values have been increasing generally for all home types in the region mm -hmm. from the beginning of the year, at least from the springtime. Mm -hmm. um, but we have we've seen sort of in the last few months a reduction in number of sales, but benchmark prices continue to go up. Remember that values in the market, home values, are determined by a pretty thin slice of the overall dwelling stock, right? Just those homes that transacted. And so what we're seeing transact right now are just a selection of all the homes and it's just a selection of the typical buyer set that you would see obviously right now if you have if your current home's got no mortgage on it or you've got access to a lot of cash you're less interest rate sensitive right at least as a buyer mm -hmm. um, and in that case then you can continue to a, a transact and we know sellers if they don't have to sell aren't going to accept a lowball offer so if you're going to transact you're still going to be paying Good money, Good money, right? Yeah. In a in yeah. a sort of historical relative context, mm -hmm. so I think that's what we're seeing right now. Um, if I think where we would see values overall start to fall is if you had desperate sellers. Mm -hmm. We don't have desperate sellers yet. On uh, certainly, um, some people we we talked alluded to them earlier are desperate, but that's not what defines mm -hmm. the supply side of the market right now. So, you know, hopefully we don't get there. That's not a nice place to be for anyone, mm -hmm. um, even if it does bring prices down. I think we just want to see prices moderate and activity return to normal. Yeah. But um, 
yeah, there's some funny features of the market. I think that it just flow naturally from the the interest rate and environment. I would say the flip side of that for that traditional borrower, their purchasing power has absolutely been reduced, and that's one of the reasons it's such a tight seller's market at lower price points. There are more people of those who are still trying to participate in the market. They're sort of squeezed. Uh, sort of in like you a know, downward that, compression. Yeah, yeah price exactly. Compression. So there's yeah. most people are competing for that lower priced segment of homes. You know, maybe they wanted a townhome before and now they're just looking at a condo because that's what they can afford because the cost of borrowing is so much more. And so that's why that, like uh, Berlin alerted, alluded to earlier, under 1.5 is still such a tight market. Uh, that's where more of those traditional borrowers are operating. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just just from being on the ground here, for sure, like we're we're in multiple offers, believe it or not, like half the time when we're mm-hmm. putting offers in, right? Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the clients that we work with are younger buyers in their 20s and 30s. So um, typically they are looking under 1.5, maybe even under 1 million. Mm-hmm. So it is very common to be in these multiple offer situations. Now, things aren't flying way over asking and there might be one or two offers and it'll sell very close to asking type of thing and with even you could even get conditions at times and still win uh but it it is it is competitive but people aren't really like fighting for with each other over if that makes Mm -hmm. sense yeah it's what we're kind of seeing out there but when there's good product properly priced there's more than one interested buyer Totally. Yeah. yeah. And where we're seeing some opportunities, I guess, is um, with stuff that does need a bit of work is great because mm. um, the general buyer is, you know, sometimes they don't want to do work or a bit mm-hmm. of rental work because they want to move into something turnkey. But if you're willing to put a bit of, you know, elbow grease into it, there's a ton of opportunity out there. And some of these other perhaps, especially with it sounds like this, you know, rising inventory here, um, they can pick something up that's maybe not yeah. a, a class, but maybe just a, right, a B plus type of product. Right. Totally. It's interesting, too, because I think some people are going that route and others are saying, uh, gosh, it's too, resale's too competitive. I'm not finding exactly what I need. And so people are, some people are flipping over to presale. Mm-hmm. So um, the last, like presales have grown in each of the last two quarters. And so the last full quarter was Q2. Um, regionally, there were 3,600 um, presale transactions, uh, which was down uh, about a quarter from Q2 of last year. So year over year, it was down, but we are up about 60% from Q1 of this year. So there's Mm -hmm. a big increase in activity, and that reflects a consistently rising home values in resale, which are a product of that imbalance between supply and demand. And I think the other thing that's coming into play for some people who are confident in their outlook for interest rates (laughs) is that if you're buying presale and you're buying, let's say, concrete high-rise, you know, from the time that you write your contract and commit to purchasing that unit, taking possession of it, you're you're looking at maybe a four year um, period that you'll be waiting. And in that time, I think we all agree interest rates, it would be, I mean, I don't know what the scenario would be where interest rates aren't lower four years from now. It's a question of by how much, mm-hmm. but I think people are a little bit more willing to enter in that kind of yeah, uh, situation for sure. And like a lot of the buyers looking right now, they the transfer tax exemption on a new construction homes up to seven fifty, which does help if you throw in a couple incentives from the developer, GST, perhaps like they give a credit to help pay for that. Um, new storage, fresh storage mm-hmm. locker. Keep saying fresh. I don't know why it's like a big. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, it starts to look enticing, and um, we did notice some buyers like seeing the market rise did start to feel a little worried, but they weren't quite ready to commit to such a high interest rate right now at this point. So we 
had we've had three or four or five buyers purchase pre-sales in the springtime um just because hey i i want to buy i know it's a good good investment choice but i'm not ready to take on these high rates right now but perhaps in four years you know i'm in my late 20s i'm ready for a mortgage right uh, and i get mm -hmm. these extra transfer tax exemptions and there's some perks to buying right now too um that is kind of in the psyche of a lot of buyers right now that is kind of pushed up the pre-sale. I could see that too. And maybe it goes back to this, This like if you're somebody who needs to buy, you buy and resell, you buy a home that's livable now. And mm -hmm. if you're someone that doesn't, but wants to and can, mm -hmm. pre-sale becomes a more viable option. Totally. It's not for everyone, but certainly it can it can meet many people's needs. Especially if you got mom and dad's house to crash at for a couple more years. <laughs> exactly. <It's> perfect, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good point, um, Ryan O'Hearn, about uh, about that people not being able to make the commitment now. And I think it's a good opportunity for, for everybody to just save a little bit. We know how expensive things are everywhere for everything. This wraps up this episode of the podcast. So in today's podcast, we talked through two different topics. The first is more musings on market macroality. And the second topic is the inflation situation and seasonality. Thank you, Ryan O'Hearn, for joining us today. Before we let you go, uh, as always, we always ask advisors, what are some key takeaways or advice that would be good for potential home buyers or sellers or anybody just interested and curious in the market? Did you have anything that you would like to share? Always, yeah. Uh, I mean, pre-qualifying yourself is always, we always say that. Mm -hmm. um, I think now more than ever uh, is very important. And what a lot of people forget is they can actually get the pre-qualification even a one to two years in advance for pre-construction deals that are mm -hmm. coming up. And it kind of gives you a worst case scenario. You get a rate locked in and if it is lower in two years, you go for that. So I definitely recommend if you have a pre-sale complete in the next couple of years, uh, we're telling all our clients to go do that um, as soon as they can and have that secured. Uh, but yeah, and just in general, I think if you're going for resale, looking at stuff that's transit orientated, uh, those are always going to do, you're going to hold value there uh, if you're near transit, near kind of urban centers. And uh, even if you're able to get, perhaps you don't want to go to the top of the budget, go and kind of keeping a little bit on the table. Uh, that's always great. And if you can get a basement suite, that helps too. <laughs> those mortgage payments can get expensive. So, mm -hmm. so anything that can help with cash flow or if you're able to get a roommate, that's always a great option too right now. Uh, it is tough if you're kind of the only one supporting yourself, right? So as we do work with a lot of younger buyers, these are kind of the, some of the um, tips, I guess, you could say that we're, we're feeding off to them. That's great. Thank you so much. And for those that, uh, you know, heard your advice, heard the podcast and want to reach out to you and, and get a little bit more into the nitty gritty, how can they reach you? Yeah, you can uh, find us on Instagram. I work with my brother, Daniel O'Hearn, and we call ourselves the Broherns. So uh, Instagram handle Broherns, add us there. Uh, and I think we can, uh, we definitely have our information on our Instagram to reach out and uh, on our, my Rennie website too. Happy to email or text uh, or just a phone call away. Amazing. Yes, you can find Ryan on rennie.com slash ryanohern. And on there, like he mentioned, you can find all his contact information and even, I believe, the direct link to his Instagram handle. Hit so, me up. Yes. So this wraps up this episode of the Rennie podcast. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out our latest Rennie review and other intelligence information on rennie.com slash intelligence. Be the first to receive this information straight to your inbox. Register for intelligence updates. So thank you so much, Ryan, Ryan, and Ryan. <laughs> Ryan, it was a, cute. Yeah. Yes, it was, uh, it was a really good record. You're a math guy. Yes. <laughs> I am, secretly. Secretly, yes. <laughs>
All right. Thanks, everyone. And um, I guess we'll see you all next recording next month. Thanks, Justine. Thanks, Justine. Yeah. Thanks, 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 Weiss, Berlin, <laughs> Blue. Thank you. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production and is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, all resources mentioned in the episode can be found on rennie.com. Thank you.